0: Welcome to Spare Time Book Club. We love to talk about books, and we are excited to do it on this podcast in a more formal way. We will release an episode every other month featuring two books, so you have plenty of time to read them. We will do our very best to post them on Instagram as well, so you know what's coming. Famously
1: bad at Instagram, but we're doing our best.
0: Yeah, we're feeling inspired, but you know we've said that before. (laughs) Um, This month, we are so, so, so beyond excited to have a special guest, our very first, Dr. Daniel Black, who wrote Don't Cry For Me. And after our conversation with Daniel, we will also have a quick conversation between us about Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. Yay. I'm so excited. So before we dive into the interview, I want to tell you all a little
1: more about our esteemed guest. Dr. Daniel Black is a renowned professor of African-American studies at Clark Atlanta University. He is the award-winning author of eight novels, most noteworthy of which are They Tell Me of a Home, Perfect Peace, The Coming, and Don't Cry For Me. His first essay collection, Black on Black, will be released in 2023. Can't wait. I cannot wait for that. All right. We are super excited to welcome Dr. Daniel Black to our podcast as our inaugural spare time book club guest. This is um, so
0: big. I know.
1: I'm so excited. We're so, so happy to have you.
2: So glad to be here. I really am. Thank you, ladies.
1: And we loved your book. This book has been so resonant for, for the two oh of my us.
0: God. This book has settled in my bones, like in a way that I hope we'll be able to explain to you here today.
2: Wow, wow. <laughs> I'm so, I'm just so, I'm humbled into silence. I really am.
0: <laughs> We're so grateful. Um, so for those listening who haven't read Don't Cry For Me yet, can you tell us a quick overview in your words of the novel?
2: Sure. Don't Cry For Me, is the epistolary novel of an old dying black man who on his deathbed, writes a series of letters to his estranged gay son, whom he hasn't seen in many, many years. And the point of these letters is to explain to his son why he treated him the way he did, why he treated his mother the way he did, um, to explain to him how the ideas and ideals of masculinity and manhood shifted so severely from one generation to another generation why he was so hard on him, hoping that he would give him the tools of survival. But instead, of course, he wounded him emotionally. But the book is the father's hope that this communication, this truth, right, this honesty, this vulnerability will be enough to heal the son and to, in fact, perhaps, perhaps, help him to be able to forgive his father for where he fell short.
1: Wow, an absolutely stunning synopsis. I know, I was
0: like- Uh, if you listen to that and you don't want to read this book instantly, you need help.
1: Yeah. There's something wrong. So I think, and the first question that we have for you is actually really about the epistolary form that you chose for the book, because I think it's so striking that you chose to write and it's one continuous letter, um, from the father to the son. So really like the only, the only character we get any insight into is the father. And I think that This form makes the story so intimate um, and it makes it really vulnerable. And you really see how the emotions and the feelings are being worked through in this, the father character, Jacob. And we know, you know, from the extremely generous author's note that you included at the beginning of the book, that this is really personal to you. So, the question that I have as a writer myself is what made you choose? fiction for this? And like why a novel and not, you know, a nonfiction insofar as a, an imagined letter can Absolutely. be nonfiction?
2: Absolutely. Because I think, I think the world of fiction allows us to have some conversation that reality does not allow. Mm-hmm. I think the imagination allows us to dream truths that have not yet come to pass. Right. I think the imagination allows us to conceive of possibilities and hope for things and even share those hopes um, that that in the natural world would seem almost impossible, right? Mm -hmm. Because the truth here is here's this old Black man in the rural South. He has no real value to the community, to this nation. He has no real value as a human being, except in this moment where he gets to be center stage, right? Mm -hmm. Where his voice reigns central. And we discover here a fully formed human being and a man who evolves and changes, right? Um, and, and what I was really hoping is that by presenting such a man, we might see as a nation the places where we have fallen short in building these kinds of human beings. It's very possible. Not only is it possible, it is, it is really, it's the requirement of this nation, Really, you owe it to people of this nation, of all races and all colors and all genders and all sexuality. We we owe people the recognition of their humanity, you Mm. know? And so what I really wanted is, in the imaginative world, I wanted to challenge what we call truth and what we call reality, right? And to stretch our notions of reality to begin to include some things that yesterday might not have been possible, but tomorrow I hope it will be. I
1: think that's exactly what happens here. And I think in stretching that reality or, you know, in centering this voice that has been so silenced, so relegated right. to, right. you know, the identities and the limitations of those identities that are ascribed by our country and our society, like in doing those things, I think that you managed to make this a really universal story in a lot of ways. That's how you know the book, that a novel is really hitting it on the head when it's so specific, and that just broadens the capacity um, for empathy in the reader.
2: Yes, I think so. I think so. And I think, and and though this man is Black and his son is Black, the truth of the matter is this is everybody's story, Mm. right? Because Mm. everybody has a father. And most of us have fathers with whom we have at least a little tension.
1: Mm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We giggle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes and And the truth of the matter also is the problem here is not so much even fathers. the father the, the problem is our national notion of manhood mm-hmm. our national notion of masculinity, and the ways in which we want some of it, we want pieces of it. But there are other pieces we don't want. It's like how we want you know parts of patriarchy,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but only parts
2: right yes. and so and so the truth is we've contributed unto the very thing we're critiquing
1: mm, absolutely. yeah absolutely this book is an ode to all of the things beautiful and hard and you know, good and awful about masculinity and queerness and blackness in America. And I think that it's really a testament to the way that we change as people, as individuals and as a society. Um, And I think the way that you write Jacob, who's so stereotypically heavy air quotes around stereotypically masculine, you afford him such gentleness and such sympathy. And we get this portrait really vulnerable human portrait of a person that I think is pretty rare. Like we don't see characters exposing themselves quite this way very often. So what is your hope for the takeaway that a reader might have about masculinity, queerness, and Blackness in America?
2: Yes. I'm so glad you asked that question. One, that, that masculinity is much, much too narrowly defined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is entirely too narrowly defined. And the irony both in this book, and I think it's going to happen in life, is for Jacob, it will take a queer son to heal him. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: So the irony of all of this, as a father, you didn't want a queer son, and yet that queer son is the key to your fullness. Yes.
1: Uh, It's what gives him the capacity for this. softness
2: it absolutely Mm -hmm. is it absolutely is it absolutely is and the same little boy he helped to to destroy as a kid that little child elliot right Mm. he ends up birthing yeah you know and because i think what happens is god keeps if you will running jacob into queerness at different Mm. points in his life because queerness offers the possibility of expansion Right. Queerness offers the possibility of a new way of thinking. No, you don't have to be queer, Jacob. But what what queerness does juxtapose, if you will, next to heteronormativity is it invites heteronormativity into seeing the possibility that something else can be grand also, mm. something else can be wonderful. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with heteronormativity. No, it just means that her heteronormativity does not get to be supreme only.
1: It's incredible that you said, ta- that you brought up queerness and expansion because Elisa and I were having a <laughs> I conversation was last that. night. We're both queer. And so we obviously have these deep, meaningful conversations about queerness every other week as queer people <laughs> love to do. Right? Um, and we were just <laughs> talking about how it really, like being queer really does expand your universe and your capacity oh, for empathy and um, that it's just so dimensional and so beautiful
2: absolutely and when people stop dreaming of a straight life and a straight existence and even the word straight even that nomenclature is problematic right because it suggests that which is not crooked it suggests that which is correct right and so I, i i press us to abandon the word straight and people often ask well what do you call people then um and I said I would call them non-gay.
0: Hmm. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm going to take that.
2: <laughs> it, it, it depends on whose center you're, you're speaking from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So to say straight suggests that heteronormativity is the center yeah. of things. And, and so I think, that, I think that, yes, I think queerness offers the possibility not only of expansion, but it also offers the possibility of a kind of healing that this nation needs badly. Because see, mm-hmm. for me, queerness is not the erasure of heteronormativity. Queerness is the suggestion that there are possibilities of existence that are just as legitimate as right, heteronormativity. Queerness is the notion that when you uh, um, imagine God and you imagine angels, they can be queer too. Mm. right? Queerness is the notion that If you're Black, you can look like God. If you're white, you can look like God. If you're gay, you look like God. If you're you're heteronormative, you you look... If you're trans, you look like God. Queerness is the notion of let's see if we can, in fact, not just switch categories, but in fact, elevate all of them.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. I loved what you said about... Jacob's character really being challenged by the queerness that he was so afraid of to begin with. And I think that's so true. There is a passage that I would love for you to read um, that is just like tattooed on my heart.
2: Oh, wow. Absolutely. I will. I will. Uh, This is a passage where Jacob's son, Isaac, has painted a portrait of Jacob's land, if you will, in we're in rural Arkansas, and this is a pe- passage where Jacob sees that portrait for the first time. It was the most remarkable thing I'd ever seen. Everything was precisely as we would beheld it. Trees, the old house, the, uh, the, the field, the clear sea blue sky. Within minutes, a huge crowd assembled, marveling that someone your age has such extraordinary perception. I could have boasted that you were my boy, my brilliant artistic son, but I didn't. I didn't say anything because my voice wouldn't work. I I covered my mouth and trembled. That same grandmother, touching me lightly, murmured, you have every right to be proud. She patted my back several times. Every right. Don't feel ashamed. But I was ashamed. Here I was on the verge of emotional collapse, all because of a picture you had painted. You know, this passage is one of my favorites, too, I must say, because this I mean, it's, it's an image that so tugs at this man's heart. And so grabs him. And the irony of all ironies is his own son conceives his, he, he really paints his memory mm-hmm. right, and gives it back to him as mm-hmm. a gift. Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's so incredible. I think it's this like really simple yet incredibly deep capture of love and emotion and everything that we were talking about earlier too, around masculinity and, and connection and, this really resonated with me as an immigrant and a child of immigrants. And it really made me look inward to my own relationship with my family and specifically my dad. I see so much of him in Jacob here. And it really made me question and kind of think through the interpretations of moments in my own childhood that I perceived a certain way. And it really made me wonder what was my dad feeling at the time? And I have to tell you, like I'm 30 years old and like this book is honestly one of the first times that I really took a step back to think about that. So I think that is really just such a testament to your work and like what you were able to pull out of me. Um, But my question for you is how much did inhabiting the character of the father teach you about the ways that we relate to our parents versus how much of this did you come to understand as you got older?
2: Such a magnificently complicated question, and mm-hmm. so 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 incredibly important. Because this book taught me who my father was. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand the fullness of him until I wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Because I had to stay in his shoes over time,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? I also had to conceive the world the way he did, as opposed to me critiquing his world, the way he had lived, right? And one of the things that was so magnificent and just freed me, ladies, it just really freed me, was this line at the end of the book that says, tell them I tried. Mm. Because what in the world more can you ask from a person? What more can you ask than did did you try? And he tried with everything in him. Mm. And the thing that was so magnificently healing for me is, can you try hard? And people still think you failed. What does it mean to try that hard mm-hmm. and kids still think you messed up? It gave me so much compassion for my father. It gave me so much sympathy for him, because he's a man who worked, you know, 12, 14, 15 hours every single day. How is that a failure? I mean, whatever you don't do, how is that a failure, you know? And so just this notion of what trying means to people, right? And and how much people can give in their own efforts, though it may not be what someone else desires, that was an unbelievably maturing lesson for me. That was really a lesson for me. Uh, and another thing, now that I've gotten older and I have kids of my own, the other thing that this book taught me that is so very, very true, is no parent gets the kid you wanted. <laughs> All parents would revise us if they could (laughs) in some way, in some form, to some extent. Our parents grin and get along. Our parents tell us they they love us and adore us and et cetera. But the truth of the matter is we are all something of a disappointment. It doesn't mean we're all imperfect. It doesn't mean we're not marvelous. See a disappointment just means someone else wanted something else. It doesn't mean I should have been something else. Right. And so what I realized is even in my own children, there are ways that I would have tweaked them in this way or that way. I would absolutely have changed things about them if I had had my way. And Mm -hmm. I saw that parenting is a negotiation Mm -hmm. between parents and God in terms of what you're going to be able to tolerate. And And that's been extraordinarily humbling for me
0: that is so special. Thank you for sharing that. And it's it's just so great to hear your perspective as the author who is also so intimately connected to these characters speak about the book. So, I really appreciate um your your answer and your time on that. Absolutely. Um You know, as we've said a million times, we absolutely love this book. Um, This podcast is Spare Time. And I know we have just a couple more minutes with you. So we did want to ask you a quick question about spare time. And that is, how do you like to spend your spare time? Fishing. Ooh,
2: I'm a big fisherman. Yes. I'm a fisherman and I'm a choir director. I love, love, love choir directing. I'm a musician. Yeah. I have tons and tons and tons of fun choir directing. And, um, and I love, 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 love to fish. So if wow. I can spare time, one of those two things is what I would prefer to do and read, of course.
1: <laughs> well, that's perfect for our next question, which is what are you reading right now?
2: Oh my gosh. What am I reading now? Whew. You know, I, I'm one of those people who reads four or five books simultaneously. Always.
1: Me too. It's complete chaos.
2: Yeah. It's yep. chaos. It's, 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 but, but I have to do it. I'm reading this book called Homecoming by Yaa Oh,
1: yeah. It's so wonderful, isn't it? It's
2: awesome. Oh, God, it's so awesome. It's absolutely possibly awesome. I love, 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 love that book. Uh, I'm reading that book. And um, I'm reading um, Adriana Trujani's, uh The Good Left Undone. Mm. She's awesome. She's awesome. I'm always reading something by um, um, Marilyn Robinson. I love, 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 love Marilyn Robinson. Just love Marilyn Robinson. I'm, um, I'm rereading some Toni Morrison.
1: Always a good choice.
2: Yeah. I love her. She can be complicated though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She can be really heavy, but, um, I like her stuff very, very, very much. And, uh, I'm looking around because, you know, I, I lay books where I'm, I'm looking, where I'm reading them. Right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Them about
2: Everywhere. <laughs> Um. Um. I read a book called uh, 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 "Uh, the Devil." Um, what is it called? The Devil you know. The Devil you know. Um, and it's a it's it, it's a great book. Um, what is his name? Hold on. I'm gonna. I have to tell you his name. <laughs> um, his name is Oh Charles Blow. Mm. Charles Blow. He's a um. He's a journalist. He's a TV anchor, Charles Blow. Fantastic, fantastic book. So those are the ones I can put my hand on.
1: Thank you. That's, that's a lot. I will be adding those to my list. So then the last thing that we wanted to ask you, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners about before we bid you adieu on this
2: episode? Absolutely. I will be in the fair city of Washington, D.C. On May, yay, May 15th at 6 p.m. at Busboys and Poets. May 15th, 6 p.m., Bus Boys and Poets, the one on 14th and V. So I'm inviting everyone to come out, check me out. We'll have books there. I'll love to sign. I'm gonna read um aloud. I'm gonna do all of that. So I'd love to see you ladies and, and anybody else in the in the DMV area um on May 15th. So come and check me out.
0: Amazing. We will be there and we will link um if there's like an invite for that event, we'll link it in our show notes and make sure it gets out to the people of spare time.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: Thank you so much for your time today. This was so special. I couldn't imagine a better first book club for us. Oh,
2: this is wonderful. And and to be the inaugural author, I, I just feel so honored and and, 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 and blessed. Thank you ladies so much.
0: Wow. Our first guest. That was so
1: fun. I love him. Yeah, I would love to listen to him speak for many hours.
0: And I would like to listen to him read this entire book. And I'm going to read his other books. Yeah, I think that
1: he would be truly an audiobook narrator for the ages. And what a wonderful professor he must be. Those are some lucky, lucky students. Big time. Um, And now for something totally different.
0: (laughs) 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 Complete vibe shift. Um, As we mentioned at the top, we're going to be doing two books um, in each of our book club episodes. And so we read Don't Cry For Me, but we also read Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. Um,
1: Another queer novel, uh,
0: but not at all the same. In a different way. This book is not tattooed on my heart. Let's just put it that way.
1: No, it's not tattooed on my heart either. Um, this is a romance book.
0: The a romama. And you know, we knew that going in and there's certainly a time and a place for a romance and a lot of them are really great. Um, but before we dive into our thoughts, I'll give you a quick overview of what this book is about. Yes, let's. Delilah Green swore she would never go back to Bright Falls. Nothing is there for her but memories of a lonely childhood where she was little more than a burden to her cold and distant stepfamily. Her life is in New York with her photography career finally gaining steam and her bed never empty. Ooh. Sure, it's a different woman every night, but that's just fine with her. When Delilah's estranged stepsister, Astrid pressures her into (laughs) photography. photographing photographing photographing, <laughs> photographing her wedding with a guilt trip and a five-figure check Delilah finds herself back in the godforsaken town that she used to call home. She plans to breeze in and out but then she sees Claire Sutherland one of Astrid's stuck-up besties and decides <laughs> that maybe there's some fun and a little retribution to be had in Bright Falls after all.
1: Ooh. Uh-huh. I mean <laughs> it's fun. There's no denying that it's fun. Obviously we are here as fuck for a lesbian queer romance. Like that is really delightful.
0: I mean, Daniel Black said it himself. Queerness is the answer.
1: Queerness is the answer. I'm actually like, and you know, you know this, Elisa. I think we've talked about this on the pod before. I'm just like not that interested in reading anything that doesn't have at least a little queerness in it at this point.
0: I like that for you. I am not interested in reading romance books, <laughs> queer or regular, that don't have like some, some meat on the bones. You know what mm. I mean? Like, yeah. I, think, I think a romance is fun, but it's just... Like, if I read this, which is the description on Goodreads, and I know exactly what's going to happen, and there is not one surprise, like, I'm like, ugh, like, did I need to read that? Like, that's my own personal feeling about the romance category.
1: We have the similar differences here as we do in, like, the category of sweets. I love to analogize books like this about, like, candy. I think that this book is a candy bar. Like, there's nothing nutritious about it unless <laughs> you are a straight person who doesn't know anything about queerness in which case you have something to learn here mm-hmm. but I think like I like a a candy bar you don't really
0: I really don't think that I do I think it's one of those things it's like a uh, um like cheesecake like I think I like it but then I eat it and I said no I don't No, really you like want
1: it. you want like The dark chocolate that like, it's sweet and it's good, but it's got some, it's got antioxidants. It's complex. It's a little good for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So those are the kinds of romance books that I also want, but I do love a book that you can just like sit down on the couch with for 45 minutes and just like breeze through and be like a little bit scandalized and be like, Ooh. That was yeah. silly and fun. But there and were definitely is some fun. issues with this book, I think. Like there in were terms some craft. issues.
0: Um, do you want to say the biggest
1: one of them all? Yes. Uh so this happens sometimes, usually in like much more amateur writing, where people are talking about queer people, so two people of the same gender. And they're in a conversation or they're having sex or whatever. And there's some p- confusion about like the pronouns because mm-hmm. they both have she pronouns. So if you say she twice in a row, it's like, who, who are you talking about? So you have to contend with that as a writer. And what this writer chose to do is completely wrong. <laughs> and that is to refer to it was usually Delilah mm-hmm. as the other woman.
0: It would In a like- way
1: that is so icky.
0: <laughs> and it would be like a hookup scene. Like it would be It'd like. The other
1: woman unbuttoned her trousers. And you're like, ugh. What? Yeah, it was
0: like, other woman? Right. It really, really, really graded on me and took me out of the book each and every time. And like, how many times do you think she said it? At least 99?
1: Yeah, I was going to say like more than 20 which is crazy. Every time there was any kind of sex scene, which was, there were several or any kind of like sexy, flirty moment. She went straight to the other woman. And I was like, do you think this is like hot or like the only way to refer to these people? Right. They have names. Also the other woman means something else. Like the other woman makes me feel like she's (sighs) cheating.
0: Yes. And she wasn't like, if she just said like, her like i would still know who she was talking right like we're following we're reading we're following you don't have to hold our hands yeah that was like truly truly bad um but what did you think of like the story overall
1: i thought the story was fun um one thing that i appreciate about this book is i feel like often there's the trope of the like wayward black sheep lesbian who's like a disaster like that kind of thing and like I did capital d yes and I did appreciate that this character although she does have the like she's kind of punk she's like bad whatever like she also was extremely talented and having all of this career success that I thought was like really important for breaking the stereotype of the like hot mess bad influence lesbian.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think that these characters were nicely conceptualized and portrayed Mm -hmm. to us. I just didn't feel – I felt like it was still a little bit surface. Like, I I wanted more. I think, like, the emotional connection could have gone a little bit deeper. As a reader who really connects with characters and kind of details about characters, like, to me – a sign of a great book is when i'm like wow i really have empathy for this character or i like really love this character and i'm going to be thinking about them it didn't quite get there for me but i definitely enjoyed both delilah and claire um i thought the like um kind of like outer friend group cast of characters was like less compelling to me um but i i mean like i read this book quickly like i thought it was fun i I would recommend it for sure. Like if you want like a light read. And I think as you said, like, especially if you're like unclear on like queer relationships or like haven't read a lot about queer love and romance books, I would recommend it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And we have a, you know, strong bisexual character, which is nice in a way that's like, I feel like there's a another trope that's like the lesbian comes in and like, this girl who thought she was straight is all of a sudden like (laughs) under her spell and that didn't happen at all. Like this is a character who like, there's like established queerness. She talks about like being queer in high school and you know, she has an ex-husband and she's got a female love interest and like everybody, nobody in the book is surprised, which I think Mm -hmm. is good.
0: Yeah, actually, as you were just saying that, I was, I do think one of the most special parts of this book is like how Claire's community like responded to her and Delilah and how they kind of like showed up for her in this. Um, That to me is really special because I do think like that's part of the queer experience that like is such a huge part of it. And I don't feel like that's often represented in silly light books. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of silly books, like it's a plot point that this person is experiencing queerness and it's like dramatic or it's hard or somebody doesn't approve or they have to come out, which like, obviously all of those stories are really important, but there's also, it's nice to have a love story. That's just like, yeah, this is normal.
0: Do you have any other comments on romance? novels in general or queer romance novels i mean on i haven't read as much romance as you have but i think actually that like i haven't read that much i think your friend slash yeah, girlfriend truly my girlfriend is
1: a romance queen she loves to read romance one of the books that she has from the library right now is like a bodice ripper that's oh. called "The Perks of Dating a Wallflower," and it has two like vaguely Victorian-looking women on the front. I'm like, um, what is Lord. that? <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't know that that's ever going to be my thing. But I like, you know, we we all need a little escapism every now and then, and I think that for sure, you know, it's okay to have a well-rounded. I think that the the like the genre, like do or don't question for me is like I want to be a literary omnivore like I want to read everything to to a certain extent but I don't think that I'm ever going to gravitate towards romance although if I see in the news a lesbian or queer romance that's buzzy which is how we found this book I will probably read it and I will
0: probably you like learn. it yeah i by no means want to sound like i'm not open to the genre i think i I think there's like a time and a place for every book. And I'm really happy that I read this one and it was fun. It's really hard to have a conversation with this book in like next to Don't Completely. Cry For Me. Like it's it's such it's a, a different It's a
1: different game. They're not playing the same
0: game it's at all. Like one is literally, it's not apples to apples. One is literally like a cracker and the other is, you know, a bunch of grapes. So- right. Um, as far as queer romances go, if our listeners are interested in kind of perusing the category, do you have any recommendations for them?
1: Um, I, I know this is not like, uh, everybody's read this already, but I love red, white, and Royal blue.
0: I love it. I think it's so good. Um, and Yeah, I've actually been recently thinking about rereading it just because it was so fun. And, like, I was actually trying to think about, like, what was different about Red, Mm -hmm. White, and Royal Blue as compared to this? And why am I, like, five stars? It's so fun. It's perfect. I do think that there's a little bit more, like, depth to those characters. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, this, like, they kind of work through some trauma together. Yes, they do. And I like that, I guess. Me too. Um, whereas really here like it was that. like just it, it was just pretty surfaced, which is not bad. And like, especially where we are in the world today, like some lightness is a blessing. Definitely. Um, another one that I want to put on your radar is Husband Material by Alexis Hall. I really loved this. Also, um, when Katie met Cassidy, I think you read this. Mm-hmm. I think this is like by no means, you know, literature, but I really I enjoyed this book and I enjoyed it for like the jaunt that it is. And that is a lesbian rom-com.
1: Yes. There's one other thing that I have to say in our conversation about this book. I don't know who decided that the recipe for a good book title was (laughs) first name, last name, verb, adverb, like, vibes like mm-hmm. eleanor oliphant is completely fine delilah green doesn't care uh you know i feel like there are so many i can't think of any more right yeah, now
0: <laughs> it gets old i for just don't sure. get it
1: like why did this become such a thing i think it's just like unvogue vogue right now i think it's so stupid i agree i'm, I'm like this you. is lazy come up with a better title
0: yeah, like give us a give us something that actually means something.
1: Right. I'm also like Delilah Green doesn't care about what. Like that's not true. She yeah, cares she about a lot of things. She does <laughs> care.
0: And maybe that's the point. Uh, but yeah, it's so dumb. Whatever. Um, so that is Delilah Green doesn't care. Um Woo! one Last thing. So for our next book club episode, we are going to be discussing Easy Beauty, which is a memoir by Chloe Cooper Jones, and we will also be discussing Yerba Buena by Nina Lacour. And Yay. I have read Yerba Buena. I talked about it on our last episode. I thought it was incredible, and it is a lesbian love story. So like I think it'll actually be interesting to contrast that versus Delilah green doesn't care. And like, it's not a romance novel in the same way that Delilah green is, but I think like, it'll help me better explain like what it is that I am looking for and maybe where this fell short for me. Can't wait.
1: I'm so excited to read it.
0: No pressure. Um, amazing. Well, thank you for joining us for our first ever book club
1: episode. Uh yes, we really enjoyed it. And as always, thanks for spending your spare time with us.